Hello and welcome back to the Bring a Mit podcast. Hello. Hi. So Asteroid City um, is the latest of the, the, the bigger films that have come out. Obviously, a lot comes out and we watch quite a lot, but then this was sort of one of the headline makers, um, Asteroid City, because it was a Wes, Wes Anderson. Um, I don't mm. think he releases films overly regularly. Or it's quite regular, it? to be fair. Is he? French, okay. French Dispatch was like two years ago. Okay, yeah, not too. I mean, it's still uh, an event, though, I suppose. I, I, yeah. I think that was delayed because of COVID as well. I'm pretty yeah. sure it would have come out earlier. So, yeah, you are right. It's um, it's the same way, like like a sort of a Tarantino. It's it's quite a um, still quite a big event because you can't really get. I, I imagine, and I've only watched two. You can only really get that style of film from him. So there's no replicas that you can sort of surf through at uh, the time being. Well, uh, so you basically only have. You can you can use an AI to make pictures of it and put them on Instagram and Twitter. I honestly, that was why it went trending, wasn't it? Because of the Asteroid City stuff. Like they just went, yeah. okay, let's yeah. utilize AI for this. And so I basically I had an idea of where Wes Anderson. I probably had the most education about Wes Anderson from the all these rubbish AI things, um, mm. and, and therefore it felt very authentic watching Asteroid City. I was yeah. going to ask right out of the gate. Where do you think it compares to, like, so Grand Budapest is generally considered its most iconic and in his best film. Yeah. Do you think it, it? Do you think it holds a candle, or do you think it's better, or, or um, considerably worse? I would probably say it's my third favorite of his. Okay. I, I, I think. think it's. I think it's slightly worse. I, I did. I really liked it, but Grand Budapest is a bit more. Um, what's the word? It's, it's more easily digestible than Asteroid yeah. City. So it's just an easier watch, I found. I thought that. I kind of think that, for me, Grand Budapest is kind of like a perfect film. I I don't think there's much wrong with it, to be honest, whereas, like, Asteroid City wasn't that perfect. And I think Mm. Isle of Dogs goes slap-bam in the middle of those two. I've seen that as well. Sorry, yeah, that's, that's a conversation we had before. Yeah, have that's, you not that's seen cracking. Fantastic Mr. Fox? Ah, I've seen that as well! Yeah, you've <laughs> seen loads, mate. I forgot about the animations. Yeah, no, okay. Yeah. I've seen quite a few Wes Anderson films. Sorry, yeah. carry on. Okay, well, um, yeah, I... So, after due consideration, I think I preferred Asteroid City to uh, oh. Oh. Uh, to Grand Budapest. And I watched Grand Budapest last night, and it is one of those films where I think it will age well in my head, a little bit like yeah. Bruges. Um, it was one of those things where there were enough, like, nose exhale moments and they were quite yeah. like a voluminous amount. They weren't like I, I didn't really laugh at any point, but there were a lot of like quite funny moments that I'll think about. Yeah, um, most to do with Ray Fiennes. I think mm. I think he has a considerable share of the soul of that film. Yeah, he's. Brilliant I think if you that. took him out suddenly, it would be just one of his other, maybe his other films. Mm. Maybe dare I say? Um, but yeah, I just thought that. That Asteroid City was just such a... I, I said this, I, I'm really annoyed at using my favourite phrases in ch- the chat rather than saving it for here, but mm. it basically, it was one of those films that scratched an itch that I didn't know I had. Yeah. Uh, in mm. that it was just so, so aesthetically pleasing. And it wasn't just, oh, Angle's geometry. It was the way it all just was so choreographed and it was so easy to watch. Yeah. I've become a big fan over over the last few weeks, maybe, after so, I've seen like explanations about how Steven Spielberg does like his camera stuff. That so that you you avoid cuts and instead things just move and and around the frame and, yeah. and it moves around. Instead, there was so much of that in Asteroid City, and it was so pleasing to watch. 
because it, it, you had that spatial awareness. You could feel the set and how big everything was. Uh, mm. you, you kind of like that. There was there were so many dolly shots across. Like, okay, this is the one family. Then this is the other family. Then there's a bang on the side, and someone was getting um something from the vending machine. And then you went back again, and then the person who was like sort of three blocks. I say blocks. You know what I mean by blocks, not the actual. Not not in America, like three spaces away. Who had just eaten a hot chili? He moves into frame from like a couple of meters away uh, to like drink the drink, and you in that spent that sense of awareness and 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 space just just helped that scene move along so well. And it was things like that. It was like it was just a, it was someone who watches a lot of films. Treat that's mm. what it was. I can completely understand people liking it less. It's it's uh, my I was talking to my dad about Wes Anderson last night uh, just because he's seen we watched Grand Budapest together and he really enjoyed mm. it. My mum doesn't really like Wes Anderson, finds it a bit odd. Um, mm. But he mentioned that one of the things he liked about it is the symmetry of everything. And I yeah, think I yeah. sort of I, I honed in on that and hadn't really thought about it before. But everything is in like completely symmetrical place in in especially in asteroid city it must be painstaking keeping people exactly where he wants them Mm. throughout like there must Mm. be such defined instructions of how people are standing how the sets have to be it's Mm. like it must make the filmmaking process a lot longer but so much more rewarding because it's like a pure pure vision of exactly what you want um model city was i think what i said in the letterbox review and they do look like little replica model cities like people yeah. have stood exactly where someone would place them. So this is yeah. He does use a lot of like miniatures in his films. Like the obviously in Grand Budapest, it's very obvious that yeah. they're miniatures. But I I kind of like how obvious it is. Like he's not trying to get away with it. He's being like, yeah, this is it's exactly how I me- want it to be, and I want it to look like it's this miniature that's moving sort of in a non-realistic way. That's the way I want it to be. Mm. Yeah, um, I remember thinking the opening was because uh, I've watched it twice now for context, and mm. I think that does. I, I wrote a lot of notes in the cinema because I thought it might help this. The it felt very celestial. Uh, the music at the opening, like the the little yeah, it was yeah. very much like you got you had that sense of wonder pretty much straight away, uh, which I think massively helped. And it, like, it was also a bit weird as well, which is which is kind of helpful. Um, but the, you, I think the sense you got for that era was really good as well because the, the prices. That's a mm. big thing on sets is that they make everything quite obvious for you, and that and you had like the prices of things, and that helped you realize kind of roughly what era this was taking place. Mm. And then also the it was the um, you had like the weirdness of the of the um, the present the narrator that we should put Brian Cranston in this. Yeah, uh, he was really weird in the sense that you had he the camera was on him and then he was silent for a couple of seconds and then he spoke and he had that like weird feels like the 40s or the 30s or something like that Uh, he he had my favorite bit or at least my the funniest bit i thought when he just shows up in (laughs) the world he's just like i don't know what i'm doing here i should am i in this yeah am i Uh, not in this Um. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, that was that was what I, I've got. So many notes, but that was just the mm. start, sort of the start. Um. I just, you know, when you watch like a really good choreographed routine, you know, when you find yourself like watching Britain's Got Talent or watching a yeah. pantomime that you kind of didn't choose to watch, but you watched anyway, and then you come out of it, and you're going, oh, you know what? That was actually just so satisfying. How mm. like how it all came together. 
that was just how I th- that was how it felt watching some of these set pieces sort of come together, yeah. especially in the start, because I think they really they really went into it at the start. What, with what the did symmetrical. you what did, what did you say? It was like watching Britain's Got Talent or a pantomime. Yeah, as in you know when you when you have those like groups that like just that they have su- such intense choreography, oh, I and see. you just can't believe something comes together, I, and you're like, okay, I, this isn't me taking a jab at you, but I wonder if that's the first time if a Wes Anderson film has been compared to Britain's Got Talent or a pantomime. I think it might be. <laughs> it's interesting. Oh, yeah, mm. I guess there's all kinds of ways of looking at it, but. It's it's probably quite surreal for me watching something like that as the first Boys Anderson film, and yeah. then watching something like Grand Budapest where it was actually quite toned down, and it was a lot more. And like Rory said, it was digestible because there was basically a storyline, and it was a bit of a. So, who is it that writes? Just he doesn't really plan; he just writes and see where it takes him. I think it's George R. R. Martin. Yeah. And yeah. I, I don't, I wouldn't say his writing reflects that. Eris, like, it didn't seem like he's like that. But that's what that film seemed like. It seemed like you could have basically just written it from page one, mm. potentially, well, like, and then just gone with it. And he just sort of went as he, as he was I, writing. Yeah, I can't think of like a single thing that happened in the film where I was like, ah, because they did that. <laughs> other than like the letter, yeah. other than the letter, but that was really basic. Yeah. Um, but it seemed a lot more chaotic. It was still gr- it was still good. Yeah. I don't think it was my sort of humour. I enjoyed it. I-, I laughed, but it was like it was just off off centre in terms of my sen- my sense of humour. A little bit more um, out there. I thought. To be fair, I think that's just kind of his humour is very. It's a very. It hits a very small niche. I think. Mm. Like. It's it's just very strangely written and directed humor. I I, th- I said this in my letterbox review. Um, how I don't think a different director could take that dialogue and make it as funny because I think it's not just what they say, but it's the way he gets them to say it and the direction around the whole scene that makes it that funny. Yeah, and I, don't, I don't think other directors could get. If they if they got given a line and said make this into a joke in a film, I don't think they could do it the same way that he could. I I would entrust Rafe Fines to get the assignment in terms of some of the stuff he was doing. Yeah, one of my favorite bits. I don't know if I'll be able to cover every no I have, but um, I got I, I noted down quite a few of the lines that I found funny. One of them was like when he was talking about um, have you ever been questioned by the police before? And then Zero, I think is his, I think his name is Zero. Yeah, uh, the the um the something boy, the bell boy, the bell boy. Yeah, uh, he was he was like, oh yeah, so when I when I first came into this country, my parents and I were tortured, and he's just like, right, so you know the you know the drill then, zip it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, but the the main one that made me laugh quite a bit was when he like how forgiving he was about um about the fact that he hadn't brought these escape supplies. So mm. they come. They'd broken out of the prison, and Zero had come to collect him at the rendezvous, and he and he, he didn't have all of these things that he sort of obvi- like implied that it was needed, like the the um the house, yeah, uh, the safe house, uh, and, and like disguises, like prosthetic noses. I think he was quite specific, uh, and he was like, 
did you bring the which, which perfume did you bring? Did you bring the uh, the twelve ounce or? <laughs> and he's like, oh, I didn't bring that, and he just went into like the biggest. After he'd been so polite, he just went into the biggest, deepest, most racist rant mm-hmm. I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> like literally, it wasn't just it wasn't just like unintelligible like um, slurs. It was yeah. just going deep into like every fault that could possibly be associated with him and his home nation. I was just, <laughs> I, I was just laughing so much at it because it just came out of nowhere. The bit that makes me the lot laugh the most in that is when they're like divvying up her estate and like, he just walks in and he gets given the painting mm. and then like Adrian Brody just gets up and just, just runs at him and just like, just saying these awful things to him. And he's just like, He's just like, do you sleep with all your old, old like um, guests? And he's just like, I make it my mission to get as close to many of them as possible. And he's just <laughs> so transparent with everything. And then you just get he, like the punches from them, he, like four punches in a row. He <laughs> says, uh, he says, I sleep with all my friends. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was it. No, I, I, I generally, so I genuinely think I. Th- I think I'll remember some of the jokes that hit in Asteroid City just a little bit more, but just because they were so, they were so risky. Because a lot mm. of people might like have just sort of not not quite noticed the, yeah. the joke sometimes. Um, oh, what was one of oh, the one of the earliest ones was the? Um, it, I mean, it was fairly obvious, but it it, it was funnier the more you realise it. So the second viewing, I found it way funnier. Is when. Um, Oh, so annoying! I don't remember any anyone's names. I'm going to get the cast up now, but um, it was the main guy, Jason um, Schwartzman. Yeah, but I'm just sorry, you know, I'm trying to think of the the, the actual character's name. Augie, So he was um, on the phone to Tom Hanks' character Stanley. Yeah, um, and you know, it's a like classic split screen. It was a perfect uh, 2D side profile. All of, I loved all that generally. Yeah. But what you had in the background was the the, the caddy who was holding up the flag uh, on the, on the passing green, and he's just holding up the flag for this whole time. Obviously, like obviously, um, Stanley had gone to take this phone call, but mm. absolutely the whole time the caddy was just stock still, <laughs> just hold, just holding up the flag for when he got back. And the thing, oh, that, and what made it funny on, on on second viewing was that he was, like, the, the conversation was being proper longed out. Like, Stanley yeah. was doing these big dramatic pauses, like, you haven't told them yet, have you? Yeah. <laughs> and it was just, it was so drawn out, the caddy just never moved. Yeah. <laughs> and it, I, just, I didn't even yeah, notice that. That's so good. I, um, yeah, little things like that absolutely made me cackle. I, I noticed while we were watching it, it was pretty much just <laughs> me, Henry, and a girl behind us that were laughing at the jokes in the film. There wasn't like a huge we, amount of people yeah. in the cinema, but there was three of us laughing at some, the, the parts that were meant to be funny, and the rest of it, people were just like stone-faced. That's, so I don't I know really if they... Laugh. I really yeah. laugh. When, when Henry and I went <laughs> on Friday, I feel like quite a lot of people were like doing like little like little laughs but then there was just this one woman on the other side who was just like audibly like cackling (laughs) almost every joke she was loving it i think i vaguely remember that Uh, Uh, i I think another bit i liked is when orgy's telling woodrow about his plan to just abandon him oh yeah they're both (laughs) just so stone-faced the whole time he's just like no yeah i was going to abandon you but not for a very long time. And I'm not going to do it anymore anyway. And it's just on a temporary basis. Yeah. Immediately. He's just like, yeah, that's fine. I forgive you. 
And then I forgive you for Tom, considering it. Tom Hanks is just in the background, and you just his facial expressions during that whole conversation are brilliant because he's just like, "What is happening?" <laughs> I missed that. I, on a side note, I wasn't able to watch any other character other than Jason Schwartzman when he was on screen because I think yeah. he was so yeah, good. He's fantastic. I, is that Oscar territory? I don't know. It's so weird and absolutely. I, I can see him not getting it it's, or yeah, not even being nominated. It's a very good performance, but it is not an Oscar-like type performance. I would never give yeah. it to anything like I'm that. I'm glad you added type there because I was like, yeah. in terms of like difficulty... In terms of like actually being able to do yeah, that, it must have been exhausting. Very, yeah, it's very yeah. difficult. And the way he played the character he was playing in the play versus the character he was playing in the film, which, I mean, I'm hoping everyone who's tuned into this has seen the film because this is heavy spoilers. Mm. Uh, but, he, you know, his, his Augie character and then the um, the actor himself, uh, the, the, the way he sort of differed between those two characters was, was amazing as well. Yeah. He actually flipped between them in scenes, didn't he, at times? Oh, as yeah, well. yeah. It was fantastic. And you could tell what he was doing. You could tell yeah. when he was... I mean, because at times like, you kind of didn't really know what was going on, but you were clicking in with him mm. uh, because he had that little eyebrow raise. Oh, there's something I likened him to. I wrote this down at the time. He looks like... You know when you do those filters, where you like the mirror filters, mm. and you become slightly off-centre and your eyes go a bit closer together and it's completely symmetrical as well? That's yeah. what... That's what Jason Schwartzman looked like when when he was completely front on. Is that a compliment? Well, probably not. Actually, <laughs> I wouldn't say so. I'm saying his eyes are too close together and yeah. it looks perfectly symmetrical. I um I was thinking in the film because because you obviously got the close ups of his face with mm-hmm. the beard on. His face looked very symmetrical as well. It was aesthetically yeah. pleasing. How the front? I'm not saying I, I want to shag him, but the, it sounds the, like you are. Well, okay, I do want to shag him, but the, uh, the just the symmetricality of his face mm. in that, with the beard, like, with the tiny little... He had, like, a tiny bit of his uh, hairline shaved as well. That was confusing yeah, me for most yeah, of the Yeah, I films. noticed that. Because it but wasn't like his him. hairline had gone back. It looked purposefully shaved. Yeah, yeah. But, um, I noticed that. I don't know. I just found the whole costume design of his character very... Yeah. I don't know, watchable. I don't, mm. know, if, I, I don't know if it was, like... I don't know if I just didn't notice it as well, but I feel like throughout the entirety of the film, he was lighting his pipe, but I never saw him smoke it. I don't know if that was just me missing it, but I feel like the entirety of the film, he had his pipe in his thing and he was lighting it constantly and I never saw him exhale any smoke at all. Yeah. Maybe it, maybe it was like a meta like yeah. actor's thing. Like he didn't like, want to smoke it. I don't know if it's could It could even be the fact that it's meant to be a play and that on a play, they wouldn't be smoking. They would, they would just have the prop there. Mm. Oh, perhaps, like, yeah. oh, Maybe. But that, that's another thing I really loved about the film. And it, it was just... It wasn't like anything that exceptional, but I just liked the fact that the real-life parts, whereas the host of the... Like, the host and Conrad writing the play, I love that all of those were on stages, like that was the play... And then when mm. we went to the actual play itself, that was all done like it was a real life thing. Yeah, I, didn't like, really th- I hadn't really thought about that much. And like right at the end, when it goes to um, Margot Robbie, when he sees her and he just like walks out of the stage, walks through, talks to Adrian Brody for a bit, and then walks through. It's like this really nicely done stage and set design, just like with a camera panning along it. And I just love that that was the real life bit. Hmm. And whereas everything else, the play part was just looked like real life. Um, something for um, 
I, I was thinking quite strongly the first time around and then definitely the second time around. I think the first act was definitely the strongest. Uh, I think if I'd have mm. if I'd have rated the film based on their acts, I think the first act would have genuinely been a five star because I just yeah. enjoyed it so much. And then the second act was still good, but it was a little bit less perfect. Yeah. Uh, and then the third act, I think, was was I think it went a little bit down again, other than the couple of moments that made you think a bit more, mm. which uh, which was quite good. But um, God, I, literally, I just got to get another quote out there. It was um, it was when he was revealing that the his wife had died and I I put and he said and the one of the daughters said are we orphans now <laughs> and he was like and he's like what and she's like are we orphans he's like no because I'm still alive <laughs> it, was, it was it was so like matter of factly like it wasn't like sweetie I'm still alive it was like no I'm still alive it was like irritant like he's definitely like a distant dad mm. and so mm. it was really it was so it was just so interesting just, that dynamic. Like little bits in it, like just the fact that he has his wife's ashes in a Tupperware. Yeah, like, there's just so many little bits like that, just like it's in little tiny details that just added to my enjoyment. Did, what did, uh, something? Go on. I was going to say, what did um, Jason Schwartzman's character Oggy when he takes the pitch where the alien comes down and goes back up again, yeah. and it cuts back to him, and he sort of thinks for a minute, and he's like, he looks around, and he goes. That alien fella stole the rock, or whatever it was. You said <laughs> that really got I've me. got no idea why yeah. that was so funny. <laughs> I, just, I love the fact that they were so all just so react. unfazed by it. Like yeah. they just they just like stare at it, and then they're just like, "Oh, that was weird." But it, cool. it, it was it was the fact that the, everyone was still staring up the whole time. Yeah, and so it, maybe it was implied that it was his military reactions where he kind of jumped into actions for, into action first, even though yeah. it was still very slow. Mm. He was the first one to look back towards sort of camera level and go, the alien stole the asteroid. <laughs> <laughs> I love that when he's getting that picture as well and Scarlett Johansson just like, do you have the picture? And he's like, yeah, here's, here's a picture. And it's like the alien. She's like, no, not that one. Yeah, I don't care about that alien. Where's one of me? I very much... I, I, Henry, you haven't seen Isle of Dogs or Fantastic Mr. Fox, but obviously Wes Anderson loves his stop motion. Um, yeah. And his stop motion films are very, very visually pleasing. I love that he actually integrated both his styles together in this one because it very easily could have just had like a man in a costume, which he does at yeah. the end when Jeff Goldblum plays the alien <laughs> offset. But I just, I loved that. Stop motion is so visually pleasing to me. And I just love that. It had that there, and just the, um, when when the bottom of the spacecraft sort of unraveled, and that little fireman shoot came down with the yeah. alien on it, just the bit where the the little the, the ends of it, feet. the platform yeah. that you stood on, came down. I was like, okay, yeah, that was really nice. Yeah, that <laughs> just looked really good. I just, I I just they're just the staring little... at each other the whole time, like the aliens just staring at them, and they're just staring back, and then he just very slowly <laughs> goes down and picks it up, <laughs> and then takes it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know what you know what you'd call you'd describe uh, the alien as is um is shy but not frightened or shy but not a coward. Yeah, because that was how they shy but not intimidated. Wood- Inti- yeah, that's the one. Yeah, shy but not intimidated, and that's how they describe Woodward mm. uh, as we draw the parallels that, that I was talking to Rory yeah. about. Perhaps um, mm. we'll t- I think we'll talk about that a bit later because that's quite a, you know that's like the crux of things is mm. is the the emotional messages. Um, did you notice the ashes said um, they had a little note and it disappeared? It was only on there once. 
it said Ashes one of three. <laughs> I didn't know. But then it disappeared. So like yeah, so it basically implied that you'd put a third of them in the Tupperware, but then I don't know what was what was going on with the rest of them. But uh oh also, you know when they the um the guy was reading the notes to the this was back in uh, when they were actors uh, rather than this is the black and white actors. Yeah. Scenes. Uh, well, the the runner boy or something, Aaron boy was um was reading oh, the notes yeah. to the famous famous act. I'm just saying, actress. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, they said, uh, and it was like, so there's one note for if you're hopping mad, and one note for if you're crying. <laughs> give me both, and they just and they were just both equally cruel. Yeah. Very, but like, actually, like they were very differently phrased, but they were completely they were exactly the same tone both times. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, literally, just like the coolest, deep, most deep cussing comments ever. Depending, then, like, no prejudice whether she was mad or yeah. right. And then it doesn't even matter because he's just like, I can see that you're neither of these. So here's the third one. <laughs> yeah, he, did, yeah, he, did the, he did like the third note as if he'd gone away to like reflect on his actions. <laughs> Except it was straight away. Yeah, and that one's just the loveliest thing. <laughs> and also, well, also, he wasn't allowed to read that one. He was allowed to read the first two, the mean stuff. Yeah. But then it, 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 he couldn't have it a mouthpiece for the third one. I wonder if he just want, didn't want it. Um, he wanted it to her to sort of subconsciously mm. blame him or something mm. like that. Um, oh God, I've actually burned through my notes. I, uh, well, while I was, I'm going to move back to my stop motion thing because I just think it's a cool detail. It's not in this film, mm-hmm. um, but in Fantastic Mr. Fox, obviously the whole thing stop motion. Um, it would have been very easy for the voice cast to just be in a studio. And I do all of that, but I've seen the behind the scenes stuff. And like um, George Clooney plays the fantastic Mr. Fox, the titular character. And there's like scenes where the fox is running through like fields. And Mm. when they recorded the sound for George Clooney, they had him running through fields. So basically all the actions actions Mr. Fox is doing in those, they basically got him to record the um, the voice work doing the same actions like they were filming it as a live action thing. That is that is cool. I Which mean, is, I, yeah, I always cool. I always thought they did stuff like that. Not like not like actually running through fields, but mm. I always assumed they did a lot of practical stuff on set. Like, well, like they might have given him something to run through. There's a video of um, uh, Hugh Jackman doing voice work oh. for Logan because obviously yeah. you can't get all of that on set, and like he's basically doing the movements in the studio. Oh yeah, like he was on set. Although I didn't know that was dubbed. <laughs> I think some bits, they do Makes dub sense, it just because it's way. difficult to, like like if a, if they're far away from the camera and they can't get the mic close enough to them, I think they dub a lot of it just because you can't get the uh, the sound quality you would want. Have you um, seen footage of uh, Mark Hamill uh, doing the voice acting for the Joker as yeah. well? He kind of looks like he's holding a crystal ball while he, while yeah. he sort of contorts yeah. his voice. <laughs> It's quite. It's really interesting it's to watch that as well. Is is this the first Wes Anderson film where he's used black and white? Uh, I've just thought, thought about that because oh, I can't even a, remember in Grand Budapest. I can't even a lot think. Of, a, a lot of his films are known for their sort of vivid color palette. It's very yeah. like bright, um, and obviously the asteroid city parts are in this. But I was just it just came to me then. I don't think he's done like black and white sort of, you know. Completely yeah. bold color palette before. I've like seen. That. I think there was a bit in the French Dispatch, but I might be wrong because I haven't actually seen that. 
Um, mm. I've seen a lot of his films, and I can't remember if there was. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I haven't seen like Rushmore or the really early ones, but I've seen Rushmore. Rush- Bond. I'm no pretty sure Rushmore is is like there's no black and white in it from what yeah. from what I've seen and heard. It's it's just interesting. I wonder if it was like a a decision. Obviously, it's a decision to make those mm. those parts. The the changing color is to make those parts show them as real in the film. They're the bits that are really happening. But maybe it's like a a more serious tone. Those are the bits yeah. that are more philosophical. They want you to think about, and it's less fun. Like a lot of his films have a, a sort of aloof fun a lot of the time. Mm. There's a message behind them, but in this, there was more of like a, I don't know, a, a philosophical take on what it takes to make a play, what it takes to be creative, and how an actor gets into a character, how an actor's mm. emotions, you know, spur on a character, how they can truly get into the part mm. if they don't understand the character properly. Yeah. It's, Except when yeah. he smashed the window. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. He's like, it sticks a bit. The window. <laughs> oh, he just smashes it. You smashed my window. <laughs> and then he takes his trousers down after that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Enjoyed that bit. <laughs> um, I suppose should we talk about? Uh, I don't know whether we got because I've got like I've got some stuff on Grand Budapest, uh, and I've got some stuff on the the overall emotional message, which I don't know if like. Mm. Of, of asteroid city i i think i sort of i'll say that i think i was saying to rory that i think that that maybe part of the point of the play was that um he was he wasn't he didn't understand the point of the play still and he kind of and it was really bothering him how he felt yeah. he felt such anguish he felt more anguished than than, than was written in his character basically mm-hmm. or by the stage direction or, or, or whatever and he had to ask, am I doing it right? He's like, yes, you're doing it right. Because he would thought the fact that he was feeling more anguish meant that he wasn't doing it right. Mm. And what I think maybe it was is that he drew the dots. As an actor, he drew the dots between between um, his, his, his... He felt anguish because he, he likened the alien to his own son in that yeah. he felt kind of... He felt like an outlier. Uh, he was sort of... And he looked at he looked at him in a way where he kind of didn't understand him or wasn't really close to him, uh, and that he'd never really understand him. Mm. And I think I think that was part of it. I haven't really developed it well, that much. There's a bit where Woodrow is in the top of the. It's like an observation tower, an observatory. That's what it's called. Yeah. And they're looking yeah. through the telescope. And he says to the girl, or she says mm. to him, "I sometimes feel like I'd feel safer and more accepted if I was up." in outer space and he mm. says yeah i feel the same so yeah the parallels between him and the alien are definitely uh, a motif of the film mm. and, so, and then there was also uh who was the other kid uh, for some reason they're really low on the order of things um, um it was the kid who said you dare me quite a lot oh he, he was yeah saying that, i don't remember leave schreiber's son he, yeah he was saying he was saying stuff about oh maybe it's because i don't feel like i'll be noticed by the universe mm. that's why he does these things Mm. So, so there I'm, was there was some likening there as well. I notice there's all, like often with Wes Anderson, there's a lot of like quite beautiful like lines of like almost poetry that are just always used as like offhand comments that no one oh, really, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no one really registers. Mm. And it's just like, ah, oh, let's move on. 
Oh, actually, I forgot to mention one of the more important parts of that is that in that talk he had with uh, Margot Robbie, mm-hmm. he he actually likened Woodrow because he said, because uh, she said, I think he's shy about the alien. He said, I oh, like Woodrow. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so I think maybe he made that connection in the um, in the, and that's a, I suppose maybe that's what's interesting about it is because they performed that cutscene where he likened the alien to Woodrow, but we didn't see it as an audience. So maybe that was why the actor kind of suffered that in isolation because mm. he had that part of the story internally, whereas we didn't see it. So maybe that it's, it's very, very in depth. It, it might not even be there, but it's, you know, this, this, you can start to see a picture maybe yeah, if definitely. you want to. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I, know, I liked it. I didn't get the, the, the bit about waking up. I still don't get uh, that. Bit. that that's annoyed me since I've seen it because I don't get it at all. Have someone would have either of you it. tried looking it up or like? I did look Twitter it up on the first that. night. I looked um, up on the first night. I don't think anyone had an answer at that, that, that point. I mean, but it might just be like a random, random bit. Who knows? Mm. Might just but, be like you know what? Let's have some chanting. That's what. Um, this is. Not a Wes Anderson film, but that's what annoyed me a bit. I like The Lighthouse now from watching mm. clips of it again on YouTube. But there's Good so man. much, so much in that film where there's just random bits of dialogue that don't really have any sort of relation to the rest of the film or the characters. Yeah. And I just couldn't for the life of me understand what they were talking about. And it just annoyed me after. Oh, yeah. I love that film. So, yeah, I think that's in the same vein. I think if any film is going to have out-of-context speech, The Lighthouse is probably high up there on the film you'd expect it in. I know. Yeah. But it's it's, it's still infuriating. Yeah, no, I get it. I I forgot one of the the funniest jokes in the whole thing because I didn't bother writing it down because I assumed I'd remember it, but then I haven't for some reason. Can anyone anyone guess what it is? I don't know if there's one that... Is it the bit where he like messes up all the stuff on his side and then breaks the light. Oh, I forgot to write that down as well. That was really funny. The fact that he was like, he's doing it proper. Like he's doing it like a mime. Like he wasn't, because he, okay. For context, for anyone who's forgotten, it was when he, um, it was when he was, um, he was told, he's like, Oh, um, Oh, the stage direction. say um, like smash everything. She says, to smash everything so he, and he feigned he feigned like the first five arm flails and then he actually smashed the light bulb that was yeah. actually quite integral to what he does I <laughs> find that really funny also but, uh, it was no it wasn't the one I was thinking of so what were you saying Tom I just I just like I just remembered a bit I just like the bit when he just puts his hand on like the toast uh, the toasting machine thing and then she's just like why did you do that and he's like I don't know yeah. Well, that was referenced earlier, wasn't it? Because yeah. he said before yeah. we saw that scene, "Why did I burn my hand on the?" There was a name for it, but yeah. the toasting machine. Yeah, you know, because my heart was quickening so fast. Because they were having that dialogue, weren't they, about how he was looking at him like they were doomed, yeah. and that really affected him. Doesn't he walk out after to go off stage and ask again about that? Or yeah. have I remembered that wrong? Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Mm. That's one of the things that annoys him most about his character. I think that's like the central thing. He just doesn't get why, does it? Yeah. Um, but no, the, the thing that I was thinking of, which actually I think I might have found the funniest at the time, but it moved on so quickly and it wasn't the cleverest joke. It was just the most of, um, it was when he got that note from the president and he went, Oh, letter from the president. He's furious. He just, <laughs> he just throws the letter across the room. <laughs> By the way, I think all the, a, a big theme, I think all of the, uh, the nerd actors were, were amazing and so yeah. well cast and so well wardrobed. 
I think they were my probably my favourite part of the film alongside um, Jason Schwartzman. Yeah. They were so, so good. Those scenes where they were sitting together uh, doing various tasks, you had those times where you had someone right in the foreground, like sort of uncomfortably close to the camera mm. when they're all in frame, just sort of sitting perfectly still. And there was the one where it's like, everyone look at Woodrow. <laughs> and all that kind of, all those scenes. I remember just finding them so entrancing. I love yeah. them. And and when they were into, they had those little different stages of, um, so after they saw the alien, they had those little different stages of their um, sort of questioning process along the dolly. Oh yeah, and then they were asking, and then they were giving those her those ink blotches to see what she's saying. She's oh, like yeah. an alien riding a bike, an alien on a plane, an alien. <laughs> no, literally one by one without hesitation. Oh, yeah. That was so so oh, that was funny. so good. I uh, just yeah, I think it's a four and a half star film I'm, for me. Know, I just I'm enjoyed kind of, it. I'm leaning into that as well. I'm leaning into yeah. it. I might I might watch it again through the week. Yeah, I'm thinking of watching it again. Mm. I feel like your second viewing has definitely helped you understand yeah, it a lot. More. It definitely, it definitely has because I well, you can see you'll be able to see half the jokes are pointed out now. Yeah, because I was looking mm. for them a lot more. Um, but I just I find that in general with films is when you watch them multiple times, you find yourself clo- like zeroing in on different parts of the screen that you didn't focus on before, and then you're noticing other things. This, this mm. is a this is maybe a problem with Wes Anderson films that they're so visually pleasing that yeah. at times you sort of miss what's going on in terms of audio. Yeah, because you're just looking you're, at things. Yeah, yeah, you're watching something happen in the background. But yeah, I, I'll come oh. with you if you want to watch that again, Tom. Yes, please. There was the, we've got the, Indiana Jones out this week. Oh, that's yeah. exciting. There was the there was the uh, the the singing number with that key as well. It was quite good. Uh, that uh, uh, really you had, made me laugh. <laughs> you had the bat. You had the band all sitting like, uh, like, oh, we heard the kid might be doing a number. But it's like a tiny little, like, um, almost sort of, um, what's what's the word? Almost, um, oh my god, it, it, it was <laughs> it was it, it was like a when they they did they did a show and tell, and it was almost. Uh, Okay, that's really. I think the stress is making it harder. Okay, it's like a breath. Take a breath. Brief, Take yeah. a breath. <laughs> it was uh, patronizing. Yes, that's the word. Patronizing. It was almost like a patronizing show and tell. Yeah, uh, and you didn't really. Ex- uh, and no one was taking it very seriously. They were moving on quickly from stuff, and then suddenly this whole band comes out. Yeah, we heard the kid might have a song to, yeah. uh, to sing. <laughs> so they all sit down, like ready their instruments, and and then the kid just comes up from underneath the table from the other yeah. side. <laughs> They start singing it, and they just do that random dance as well. Oh, I don't know. Well, that sort of weirdness is usually something I criticise, but I think mm. it just—it was more set out in this bit. I, yeah. I think this is—it was more clearly defined, and it was always going to be like this. Yeah. And also because it was meta, because it was a play, so it wasn't—it almost wasn't—it wasn't that in itself. It was a play. The film was a play of that. Yeah. So it helped me forgive it a lot more. But yeah. I've got, got a lot more notes on um on Grand Budapest Hotel, but I don't know if anyone's got some. I'm sorry, I just typed in. I've just seen Mark Commodes giving Asteroid City two stars out of five on the Guardian. Um, That's, wow. Yeah, I saw. Well, I hadn't, I don't know about his Guardian stuff. I watched his review, and he and he. Mem- I think he found it quite exhausting. Like all the stuff that we quite enjoy, the weirdness, he found it quite exhausting. And I find I find Mark Commode nails a lot of stuff that I don't like, or the stuff that I like. But he's definitely unforgiving of certain things 
quest. and vice versa. Just down to taste, isn't it? Really? Yeah. Mm. Well, to be fair, I've, I've even said that. I think this is one of the one of the very rare films I can completely understand why someone might not like it, especially someone who's not as as into film. He just sort of turns up and watches it because mm. it's almost like a showreel of what mm. film can be in times. Um, I think it's it's a film that perfectly um, portrays the fact that like cinema above all else is a visual medium mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. obviously you want stories that move you you want dialogue that's great but like that like in in the old like when it first came out it was just a visual thing and like you need i think it i th- i saw a great review of little women was it no not little women women talking um mm. that's it's like someone said this should have been a play because I right, enjoyed that as a play. Yeah, writing wise, like dialogue wise, that was it was really good. But they said it was like the ugliest film they'd ever seen, and the color grading it it was just it looked it looked almost black and white because of how grey it was. And like mm. they were like movies should be visual, like they should be eye opening. And mm-hmm. they were like, I didn't enjoy it as much as I could have because it was a film that should have been a play, but and it just looked awful. It's also quite it's the serious subject matter makes it quite tiring to sort of push work like, to think about. Yeah, work yeah. through while you're watching it. So if it was a play, there'd probably be an intermission. So you yeah. maybe have some time to ruminate on what you've seen and sort of detox. You find yourself being more impressed if it was yeah, a play. I also well. understand yeah. the fact that it is a very serious film. So having these incredibly bright colours would have been a bit of a weird, like yeah, it, it makes sense tone. It makes sense, but I do also get the point. It's just like. Give something visually mm. to like attach that, the two. It was more like an experience than like a, yeah. a film for me. Yeah. It, it was it was something you watch once. I, I wouldn't watch that film again. I don't think I'd want to put myself no. through it again. My, so, yeah. my my main gripe with that with that film was that, and I there's no way we're going to be able to talk about this because because people like there's like I remember specifically thinking this, and this is not saying I'm going to be able to verify for myself or you'll be able to verify, but. I remember the some of the philosophical stuff they were saying. I remember it was really, maybe it was really strong in the first act. Like some of the stuff mm. they were saying, it was like, oh, wow, that's new grounds. I haven't really thought about it like that. And then in the second and third acts, it basically just went straight back down to like the basic basic stuff being said in mm. like the most long-winded way. I didn't feel like it broke any new ground like in terms of like philosophical stuff. And I think it's a, isn't it based off a book? So that's like maybe not even the film's fault. I, don't I genuinely know. thought it stopped being that profound after yeah. a little while. It was still like teachable. It was a little bit like, so we're talking like Ted Lasso is a big thing at the moment. Ted Lasso, um, the most recent season, is almost like like for like because it's the first. You got three acts in this film, and you got three seasons in Ted Lasso, and people were talking about this this third season. It still got some these really nice messages that I agree with and all that kind of stuff, but they're completely on the nose. Yeah. So you're basically listening to someone preach. You're not was... listen- You're not watching something that makes you unlock a certain yeah. way of thinking. Ted Lasso is like the least subtle show I think I've ever seen, but obviously it's a sitcom. It's not meant to be subtle. But it worked think, yeah. earlier better, I definitely. Don't th- I don't think the quality of season three is any lower than season one or two. I just think there was a consistently like seven out of 10 quality throughout all the seasons. Well, for a start, so the NSL is NSL. SNL. Yeah, that is it. That is SNL. Yeah. SNL. Wait, what did I say? NSL. 
Oh, White oh, okay. Saturday Live. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Anyway, um, so the so it was based off a sketch uh, yeah. from that. Um, and if you watch that now, you actually it's a good video. I'd actually recommend going to yeah. watch it. It features all of the jokes, basically all of the best jokes in season one. I think maybe they put a couple in season mm-hmm. two, but. I think they had all their best ideas in season one. I think it could have been a two-season show, Max. Yeah. I think a lot of their ideas in terms of incorporating America with England and uh, and two different ideologies, one being sort of the giddy optimist that is Ted Lasso mm. uh, into a very cynical Britain. Yeah. Uh, I think that worked really well when it was a dynamic. And then these this sort of most recent season, all of the conflict has gone. You haven't really... Like, so this is so this might be a tune out moment for people because if they came for Nashua City, but the likes of Trent Krim, the likes of Rebecca, they were both big antagonists at different times. Yeah, you basically got no antagonists in the third season, so it's all fluffy. Everyone loves each other. They've got all these in jokes, and that's, it comes yeah, like a, a soap episode. That's the thing. Even the person you'd kind of expect to be an antagonist and sort of create tension with Zaha, not Zaha, Zaha. Zaha was great That's and the then thing, he just yeah, left. You expect him to create some tension and sort of be an antagonist and he just walks in as sort of this like everyone loves him. messiah yeah, figure that everyone loves and then he leaves two episodes later. Yeah, that was so stupid. I imagine there was some reasoning for that. I don't, I, I yeah. imagine there was an, a, like a, a production problem. Yeah, maybe. maybe so, yeah. But yeah, but Anyway, moving off from that, because people came for Asteroid yeah. City, so I feel like, or, or Wes Anderson. Um, I literally I only had one more thing to say about Grand Budapest, and it was a, it was one of the most, um, I think it was the only scene, actually, that I remember seeing elsewhere, and I think it was on a TikTok or something. Mm. It was the, the method of getting the escape equipment into the prison, which was the tools in the cakes, and the German guard was ruthlessly, absolutely sticking all the food that came past. Yes. Yeah. He, he was stabbing the cheese. He was slicing up the salami. And then this cake came along and there was a pause. You didn't look up to his face because that would have been way too on the nose. He mm. said you stayed in his hands. It just twitched and hesitated and then just moved it along because <laughs> he didn't want to mess up the cake. Yeah. That is such a yeah. good gag, honestly. That was one of my, probably one of my favourites across the two shows. Uh, but, Films, even yeah, what the hell? But um, yeah, I don't know. We this is a fairly is any, unless anyone's got anything else to say. I suppose we could I just think, rate it. I think I've said most of my good, like most of my favourite bits of the film, and I'd, yeah. I'd I'd need to have watched Grand Grand Brew, the Best Hotel again to remember much more of it. Just to get something more out of you, rate it out of ten with decimals if 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 you want. What Astro City? Yeah. Um. I think I know where I'm landing at. Eight. So four and a half, but just under. Yeah, I feel like 8.6 for Mm. me, probably. I was was thinking 8.7, 8.8, so I think I'll I'll go go 8.7. Tom's definitely been convinced more since the film. The more we've talked about it, the more I've been like, I've really enjoyed it. I really loved it. Yeah. Mm. I genuinely think, oh, if if that emotional message, and by the way, I think the timing of all of it was great. The bit, the, mm. the moment where he came out and said, "I still didn't get the play." The timing of that, having that so deep into the film, was fantastic. Yeah, it, it really caught us off guard because we thought we knew what we were in for. Mm. The timing of that coming in was perfect, but I just don't quite. 
I mean, it may go higher for me. Some Reddit post might come out and say, yeah, this is entirely the point. This is a like philosophical, you yeah. know, literacy that everyone should know. <laughs> like that could come out and I'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, this is a like a nine out of 10 easy peasy peasy. But I think it just drops because I didn't quite get the message. He literally stops, doesn't he? While everyone, I think one of the, who is it? Liv Schreiber's character's got that laser gun and he's shooting up in the air, uh, and there's like a little riot when they said there's another seven days of quarantine or whatever. Mm. He stops, has his pipe in his hand, looks at the camera, then turns around and walks through that door in the side of the rock. Yeah, I was thinking that that's, was excellent. To be fair, that's another bit I liked is that the second that bit's done and he goes back to it, he's just he wakes up and he's expecting Scarlett Johansson to be there, and Steve Carell's just like, "Oh yeah, they went back on that. Uh, yeah, they let they left in the morning. Everyone's gone," and then he's yeah. just like, "Oh." Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, that was quite strange. Um, yeah, anyway, shall we? I think it's good to wrap it up, yeah. Yeah, oh, thanks. Thanks for coming to the moment podcast. Hope this has been enjoyable. Yeah, actually, actually, a slight change of tone. Actually, a slight change of tone. We've, we, we've done reviews before, but I don't think we've ever, ever stuck to like one review for this mm-hmm. long or, or not sort of branched out into directors in general or genres in general. So, you know... If ever we get feedback, it'd be nice to know if this one worked for you better. Mm. But yeah, maybe we should do more films where it's it's more of like a um, there's a lot more to pick out. It's a lot more. There's a lot more on purpose oh, yeah. things hidden. There's Easter eggs. That's true. The messages withheld. A lot of the stuff we do is more mainstream. I feel like. Yeah, I do it's feel like we anyway. I do feel like we do a, a shite film night, but mm. I also think it's difficult because. The last shite film that we did, it wasn't shite and funny. It was just shite. Yeah. We need yeah. to find it that perfect, perfect shite and funny. Uh, how do we do that? I wonder. Um, do we find... find we got to find something that people are laughing at elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. It's TikTok it's, is probably it's, a yeah, good platform. Yeah, and it doesn't even have to be a horror, really. It could just be... Yeah, most shite films are horrors. Yeah, true. Because they're trying to be serious. That's why it's so good. Because yeah. they're trying to be completely serious. And so watching that attempt when it's bad is, mm-hmm. is just excellent. So we just I, need to I'm find gonna... that another one like House No Witch House of the Witch. What was it called? House Witch House of the Witch. Or yeah. a rom com. Actually not a rom com, a rom. Just a rom. A, a romance film with no 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 comedy. Because if it's comedy then they get away with shit. Yeah. A, a full on romance or a full on horror. Maybe we can think of some other ones, but something along that genre. Mm. If anyone's listening to this and has recommendations, I'd, I'd, that would, I'd welcome them that as well. Yeah. We've got, we have got an email, by the way. It's, it's bringamit at gmail.com. I've probably never punted to that. So, you know, there you go. Yeah. You can send that if you want, um, if anyone's got this far, which I assume loads of people have. Anyway, thanks what, for coming to the Bringamit podcast. Yeah, almost all of them. Yeah, completion rate of a 50 minute video. Uh, podcast i'd imagine it's very high yeah uh if anyone's got a 50 minute train journey home or a 50 minute drive home yeah we're perfect for that yeah yeah but Use no one us. else but okay see ya thanks for coming at the end yeah <laughs> <laughs> Bye.